Welcome to the Squee Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweet Couch we are counseling on string gauge. Nothing in guitar is more personal than the guitar itself, but there are many factors that play into it. One of the big ones is string gauge. Whether you have a heavy hand or a light touch, the gauge of the string can sculpt your tone and change your thinking. But does the gauge of string really matter? How does it affect the feel? Does the brand matter? How does it change the tone? What are the pros and cons? Why did Billy Gibbons name his strings the safest and cheapest? And did Chris and I just win the Mexican lottery? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Chris on the Tweed Couch. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast because you actually inspired this one. This is something that you came up with and said, have you ever played the Billy Gibbons seven strings? And I went, no, I've never played those before. And you said, okay. And then you surprised me when you showed up with two packs and said, let's do this. Yeah. So thank you so much for investing in the podcast and coming up with this idea. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I noticed some cigar stains, uh, burn stains over there, so yeah. I decided to sit over here. Yeah, that's but. probably a good idea. Yeah, Lloyd, yeah. gosh, he's such a mess. You see the sign. You know what it says. <laughs> gosh. Well, let's go ahead and let's talk about these seven strings because, well, first of all, it's probably worth it to mention that I went ahead and played it live mm -hmm. and, and got that whole feel with it. I've owned them now and had them on a guitar now for two to three weeks and have had a chance to really get to know them. And you've actually had yours on for about two to three weeks. Yeah, about, about that time. Because I'm the one that installed them. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for fixing my uh, Gibson Marauder. Yeah, that's right. Because the nut slot for the low E was broken off. And I mm -hmm. said, you know pretty sure that i've got a a spare nut sitting at home i think we can go ahead and put this thing on there and it was super simple to do yeah i guess that's a good place to start mm -hmm. is to talk about what guitars did we put these seven strings on and also what gauge do we usually end up using okay so i think i had tens on my guitar before it's a gibson marauder uh, 1980 yeah i didn't make a whole lot of those and there may be a good reason for that <laughs> That's another discussion. Yeah, so I think I normally use about 10s. So I decided to throw the 7-gauge uh, on those because it's a shorter scale. I did not want to mess with floating trim on my Strat. So. Yeah, that was one of the things that we talked about was that putting it onto a guitar that had some sort of a tremolo system might end up having the whole guitar need to be reset up. Yeah. Whereas putting it onto something that had a fixed system would be a little bit simpler. Mm -hmm. So you stuck it on the Gibson Marauder. I stuck it on my Gibson Les Paul. And I thought, you know what? If I'm thinking of Billy Gibbons, I'm thinking Gretsch's, I'm thinking Gibson's, I'm thinking Telly's. And right. sure enough... I had a Les Paul that I could put this on and give it a shot, and, you know, it was interesting. It, it certainly was. So, first thing I noticed for me was I played it and I had some opinions, but I had to raise the action right away. Yeah, same here. I didn't change it right away, but 
when I tried to play up about the 17th fret, the strings were hitting the pickup, so I gave it a good raise. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, from my Les Paul, I love really low action. And so because of that, when I ended up setting mine up to play, I got down to about 15, 17, 19, down there. And, I mean, I was just completely fretting out. It wasn't mm-hmm. even touching the pickup. It was just fretting out. And I, at first I thought, oh, no. Am I going to have to, like, adjust the neck? Am I going to have to, you know, change the bow or something like that? And the first thing I decided to do was change the bridge. And if you've ever had to raise the bridge Mm -hmm. on a Les Paul, you have to detune a little bit because there's so much tension. And this is the first oddity that I noticed about these strings was I did nothing to like loosen the tension or anything mm-hmm. and I just used my fingers and I used the little spin wheel and it rose without a problem. Yeah. And I've never had that happen before cuz I usually use tens. Mm-hmm. And with tens, the tension is so great on there. I was completely astonished by this. Yeah, I mean on the Gibson Marauder, you have to use a screwdriver, but yeah. it was very easy. I didn't I didn't have to loosen anything. It was very easy to raise the bridge so which i guess you have to be careful with because you could probably break a string just you know trying to raise this thing up yeah thankfully i didn't break it then i guess oh. we can talk about that later but i was playing little wing by Jimi hendrix yes went up to the higher note hit that high e string and uh it broke at the saddle so oh but thankfully i got a couple weeks into it and i have another set i can throw on there yeah I'm, jury's out if i'm gonna do that Oh, okay. You know what? We will come back to that because I yeah. do want to mention a few artists and then we can come back to breaking strings and, and all of that. Yeah. So since we're kind of on the oddities mm-hmm. side of thing, I actually have an oddity just from the second I got it. The second you handed them to me. And this oddity was where in the heck did the name Reverend Willie Mexican lottery brand fine electric guitar strings <laughs> safest and cheapest come from. <laughs> Only a Texan. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, it's Billy for you. That is I Reverend mean, Willie. Reverend Willie. I mean, yeah, the name, the name definitely stuck out when I looked those up. So. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I, I actually did research to mm-hmm. try and figure it out. And I went, why would Dunlop do this? Why would Billy Gibbons do this? And the answer is, I don't know. I'm guessing I, it goes with his peso. Maybe, maybe uh, so, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I actually love the name. It's just, it's different. It stands out. You, you really don't forget it. So No, you definitely don't. I actually put in... Mexican lottery just to see if there was something about the Mexican lottery. Yeah, that's evidently not really a thing either. Hmm. There is not really a Mexican lottery. So that's not it. Maybe uh Billy Gibbons took took the rights to that name. So. Oh, that could be it. Yeah. Oh, I maybe I should have put the like Mexican loteria. Yeah. Is and then it would have been fine. Yeah. Ah. Or I guess they don't say Mexican. It would be Espana? No. Mexicano. Mexicano, yes. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so Mexicano Loteria. Or is it Loteria de Mexicano? I don't know. Yeah, no sé. No sé. <laughs> so it, it's interesting because I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I guess I get the cheapest part because they're not crazy expensive. No, they weren't. But the, like, 
safest? I I don't know that I would call them the safest. I wouldn't call them the safest. No. So, since we're talking about packaging, uh-huh. I would like to also mention the other oddity I noticed, which was the way that the strings came out of the package. Because it wasn't, here's the E, here's the A, here's right. the D, here's the G, here's the B, here's the E. Instead, it was tied together as groups of three. So there was a black, there was a white, and there was a silver, all wound strings put together. And then it was all of the unwound strings, black, white, and silver. And I was at first I was like, this is confusing. I don't know what to yeah. do with this. And then all of a sudden I went, oh, I should use my context clues and just feel the string. The gauge is different. That's easy. And then, of course, it is on the packaging. But at the same time, I was like... That's interesting. I guess that would make it cheaper to just have black yeah. ball ends and silver ball ends and white ball ends. Yeah, and you can definitely feel the difference just holding it in your hand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that seventh gauge string just, it feels like a hair. Yeah, and actually that brings me to my other oddity, which was I found it really odd that I could feel the fretboard. Yeah. Like I actually felt the fretboard and i never think about that when i'm playing other guitars probably because of the modern frets that we use nowadays mm-hmm. you know maybe with vintage frets you'd feel that fretboard more but in this case i remember playing that les paul and i was like i think this is the first time i've touched the rosewood while playing so that's the interesting oddity for me is the higher the string the less you actually feel the string yeah like when you're playing that high e when it's that small, you feel like you're playing air. Well, that was part of the reason why I felt like I needed to raise the action right away. And then once I got up higher on the fretboard, I went, yes, I yeah. should go ahead and like so, do this. I agree. When I rose the action, I could feel it a little more. But when the action was lower, it just felt like, am I even playing anything? It was just so odd. And actually, even in the sense of playing the thing acoustically, I just found myself, as I was playing it, going... I don't know that I'm making the notes. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like I'm making notes. And then I plugged it into an amplifier and I went, oh, I'm making the notes. They're there. It's all there. Yeah. Like when you first handed me the guitar and I just strummed, yeah. no, um, no amp, I had the same feeling. It was like I kept looking down, feeling like I wasn't hitting anything. So I just, it, yeah. it made you second guess. And I don't normally do that, you know. Not all the time, at least. Yeah. But this definitely made you second guess what you were playing. There's usually a reason for the second guessing, like a note that's weird Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. Well, and now granted, we were outside because Mm -hmm. I gave it to you and we immediately popped that thing open. We were sitting outside and and you're playing it. So there was some noise around. But yeah, I, I had the exact same feeling. It was one of those things where like I started playing and I was like, Am I on the right fret? Am I able to do this? And there's some songs that I play that I don't usually like play, you know, it's just occasionally I'll do this lead line or whatever. Right. And there's actually an oddity that I want to bring up, which will go with this. And that is for the first time, I kind of felt like I had that vibrato that you see when you're watching other musicians play like you'll see them do something and you just go how did they just like do that without any effort with one finger yeah you could definitely get the angus young vibrato very easily 
and and it was crazy. So I went to do Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. do that solo, and it's like, bah, wah, nah, 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 you know, and I'm trying to get to all of these different notes, and I found myself unable to play the song. Right. Because I have not been able to do the bends that Brian May has been able to do. And so I usually cheat, and I just go ahead and go up the full step, hit mm-hmm. the note, and then come back. Because, right. you know, fine. I'm not going to play Queen the rest of my life. I got it. <laughs> but at the you same mean you're time... you're not going to be in a Queen tribute band? Uh, n- nope. Evidently, that, that spot's already taken. And uh, okay. honestly... I don't like the one that Queen made, so... <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. Actually, I should state that a little bit differently, is the tribute band is good with Mark Martell. It's the actual Queen band who mm-hmm. does not play the songs like Queen anymore. I would agree. That That's mm-hmm. really the problem. But back to what I'm getting at is that I'm going to do the bend, and I found myself bending so far off of it or I go to hit the note and it just didn't seem right or I was second guessing it and I was getting to these areas where I went I I don't know how to play this song anymore like yeah I know I could and I put the guitar back on the rack grabbed my other Les Paul and I played it perfect mm-hmm. put it back grabbed the the Les Paul with the sevens on it and I played it and I was able to play it at least yeah, But I had to be reminded with the other strings. And that's one of the things that's so interesting is it's the muscle memory. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much I didn't realize that because I learned with nines and because when I really started getting into touring and doing all that stuff, I played with tens. And I've basically done that for the last like 20 some years I now sit here going, all right, I'm going to go to sevens. And (laughs) I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. But at the same time, I was way faster, faster at doing all of it. Yeah. So my experience is very similar. Like the vibratos to me were a little too crazy as in like what I would normally do muscle memory wise. It was just like, oh, this is out of control. And bends were the same way. Like bending is too easy on the sevens so much so that you can just go up very far with very little effort and what i found that i had to do was not creating tension in my hand but creating my own tension on bending the strings so and with the vibrato like i had to restrain myself more there was more of a discipline in what i was playing and so what i found was the experience of disciplining yourself more having more control over the notes eventually over time i got better with the sevens i got more used to playing with it Mm -hmm. um so instead of just switching back to my strat which i would normally do i decided let me play all this stuff on my acoustic so i've got a martin 12 string with it just has six strings on right now okay so i just decided to play all that stuff and what i found is like it actually helped me get a little better at my bends on thicker strings. Oh. And then I popped my Strat, and I, I I actually felt like I had more control over it, even with the thicker strings. Yeah. And there was something about stepping outside of what I normally do mm-hmm. and just having this out-of-control, tiny little strings. Yeah. It just somehow helped me feel a little more confident even playing the Strat. Really? Yeah. You know, I, I found... A similar thing. So a pro for me with this, you know, and we'll, we'll come back to some oddity stuff, but if we're going to talk about pros and cons, mm-hmm. a big pro for me was that I noticed that as I was doing 
some of those songs that I knew I knew how to do mm-hmm. and I was playing I found that I needed to concentrate more again mm-hmm. and it made me less sloppy. Yeah. Not at first. At first I was super sloppy. Mm-hmm. And then I went, okay, I got to be controlled. I got to get this. And then when I would go back to another guitar and start playing, all of a sudden I found that I could hear the correct note that I was trying to hit with a bend mm-hmm. or the correct note I was trying to get on a quick slide or something like that. And actually, while we were doing this test, I did the video on the King of Tone and I was just going through the sweeps of different things and I was using the Strat. The Strat has tens on it, mm-hmm. but it's a longer scale than the Gibson. So right. not only do I have heavier strings on it, but it's also a longer scale, which is giving me even more attention to it. And there was a bunch of mess ups. And then all of a sudden I found myself hitting the notes better than I think I usually do with a Strat. Yeah. And kind of like you were saying about having to relearn songs, I did too. Uh, I was playing Comfortably Numb on the Marauder and with the 7 gauge, and it just, the very first time I tried it, I, it was a mess. It just yeah. everything was a mess. But like I said, once you started, like, it, it, it forced you to think about what you're playing a little more. Oh, yeah. And, it, and what I found is, before I broke the uh, E string, <laughs> I just something came alive with it and i actually enjoyed playing with the sevens they're they're fun yeah. they're fun to play they that, are that fun would to be play. something on my pro list is they're just they're just a blast yeah and actually tyler larson from music is win did a video where he actually played 13s and he mm-hmm. played 10s and he played sevens and one of the things he noticed was the like two and a half step bends mm-hmm. that he could do and he said this is just fun yeah and although i questioned the guitar he decided to use because he decided to put it on an ernie ball music man like an axis or yeah. something and i was like okay you've got a tiny neck you've got these tiny frets you've got this smaller scale you literally chose the smallest guitar to stick this thing on and it still be considered professional and then you put these tiny strings. I just feel like he put it on like a Tele or a Strat or one of his PRSs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like he would have had a different experience. I only briefly watched that video, but I did see those crazy bends, and he looked like he was having a blast. Oh, he was having a blast! Yeah. And honestly, as I watched the video, because I saw the video before, mm-hmm. then I got the strings got to play with it and then I watched the video again just to to get ready for this podcast mm-hmm. and I saw the look on his face and I went that's the feeling I had mm-hmm. that's exactly it so if anybody wants to know how they're going to feel putting this on that's how you're going to feel you're going to feel that way that, that is accurate so to go quickly back over which okay one more statement to say towards that video I noticed that the 13s they seemed more meaty and i noticed that the tens were kind of what i expected Mm -hmm. and i noticed that the sevens were just really articulate so to go back to the pros and cons one of the things that i'll mention is something that i thought was a con and it was i felt like the tone was blatty like just like there was this way that i played that it just seemed like i was smacking the strings it was more percussive, which I would say is a pro, but at the same time, I just went, I don't like the technique I have currently. Right. 
So as far as the tone goes, I actually loved it. I loved the way my Marauder sounded. Now that guitar is already really bright. Okay. But there was just something about, like you mentioned, the percussiveness. Mm-hmm. There was this clarity in between the notes that when you use a thicker gauge, I think what happens is the tone kind of blends into the next string, the thicker the gauge. Yeah. So the smaller, I feel like there's a little more of a clarity to it. Yeah. And also, I had quite a bit of punch out of mine. Yeah, there was some punch. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it surprised me because I, I was just expecting a thin, yeah, shrill tone. Now, I could get pretty shrill if I set my amp wrong, but... Right, but you can do that with anything. You can yeah, do that with exactly. 13s. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, today... I played at church, and I was playing my 73 Telecaster Custom. And for those that want to know, I had to send in the Quad Cortex because (laughs) the Quad Cortex screen started to get this weird screen burn thing, and I contacted Sweetwater. And it's been happening for a few months, but I didn't really feel like I needed to do anything because the screen worked. Well, I also know that in about four months, five months, I will be hitting my two-year warranty time. So I figured it was probably worth it to go ahead and contact him now and just ask if anything like this has happened, and they said no. Really? Nothing like that has happened. And they just escalated it to the next one, and they asked Neural DSP, and they said, have you guys seen this before? And they went, looks like something got spilled on it. And I went... I don't have anything that would have spilled on it. I literally use it at church. It's not communion wine. Yeah. Nothing. I don't take it out on the road with me, although I could. I've just never done it. It's just been either at home or in its case or at church or in its case, right? So I ended up contacting them, and they asked a bunch of questions. I showed them pictures of what I had, and they paid for it to be shipped back to Finland. That's cool. They are going to replace the screen for free, and they are going to ship it back to me for free. That's awesome. At, just because they were like, yeah, it seems weird. So that, anyway, all that to go back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about, <laughs> which is I'm using the HX Stomp now. And they had the new software that came out and the update. They said the cabs are amazing. And I went to use the cabs and you had to mix it. And one of the things you said was it's almost too clear. Like it's really bright. It sounds like a telly. It's just too bright you were cutting through the mix and then some yes i was more than cutting through the mix everything was just mixed around me (laughs) underneath well underneath and you just couldn't turn it down all of a sudden you get to a point where it's just gone Mm -hmm. so i made some changes went back to what i was doing with irs and all of a sudden it was fine and i say all that because that's what these sevens reminded me of the sevens Remind me of when I started playing and trying to play things, mm-hmm. I felt like I just cut straight through a mix. Now, you did play those, was it last weekend? Yeah, I did. I thought they sounded good. They sounded really good. Yeah. And, it, I mean, I was playing a Les Paul. And you were on the quad cortex still. I was still on the quad cortex. Mm-hmm. And I was playing the Les Paul. And, interestingly enough... The sevens with the humbuckers gave it more of that clarity spike that mm-hmm. you get from a single coil. Yeah. But the meatiness that you get from a humbucker. Yeah, and I would agree because uh, the Marauder has a blade humbucker, which sounds almost like a single coil, and then it's got a humbucker in the bridge. Mm-hmm. It, it gave it a 
both of those pickups a more single coil like sound, which I'm a single coil guy, so yeah. I loved it. Maybe, so it was maybe, perfect. maybe that that's the difference and uh our thoughts on that. But well maybe. And you know, it could also be how I felt while I played. Oh, yeah. And that that is something. So one of the things I will say is I did play it live. Which was very brave of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't know if I was going to break a string, and it didn't help that I showed up, and, and I was like, yeah, I've got it. And you said, I don't know if I should tell you this. I was like, what? And you said, well, I broke a string. And I went, what? <laughs> oh, man. Like, the last time I broke a string was actually Jason's guitar. It was the unboxing of his R8 and I I was just playing. I went to do this bend, and I went, I feel like I should get more. And then, plop, there yeah. it went. And I went, you know what? I didn't put these strings on. I don't know this guitar. I'm not counting it. But other than that, I really just don't ever break strings. I don't remember the last time I broke a string. Yeah. And that, that was the crazy thing. And I think it could be because they're cheaply made. Maybe it's... Oh, yeah. Because, I mean... But would that make it safe then? Because it may yeah. be cheapest, but not safest then. I don't then. think it's safe. Now... I would personally think the less tension on it, it should not break as easily. But yeah. I think just because of how thin it is. Yeah. You know what? This is a good time. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take a break for the sponsor. Mm -hmm. When we come back, we are going to talk about artists that we know who have played it, which will include Jimi Hendrix. And you get to talk a little bit about that. Also, we're going to talk about that video that Beato did with strings and changing the gauges and what tones came from that. And the last thing that we're going to kind of get into is a couple of more of those weird oddities and a few more of those pros and cons. So let's come back to this after a word from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Who doesn't love a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In 2023, they will host one of the largest music festivals in the United States in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzmann Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzmann started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at KretzmannGuitars.com. Let's hear from our final sponsor. If you like my voice on this podcast, I am using a TechZone Audio Products Stellar X3, and I am honored for the opportunity to represent it. All right, well, let's quick go into playing live. So I got a chance to play it, and I was not comfortable. The thing is, is that when I play, it's different in front of a group of people than it is when I'm just sitting in my room. When I'm sitting in my room, I'm not worried about the motion of my body. I'm not worried about the energy I'm trying to pertain. Actually, a lot of times I'm sitting when mm -hmm. I'm doing that. And then I go out and I play and I'm standing. And one of the things I noticed was I would do things and I would overshoot a little bit. And I would 
bend the strings out of pitch a little bit with my hand. And there was one song where we had to use a capo. And I put that capo on and I went, oh, nope, change that tension. It is far <laughs> too tight because yeah. he was just bending everything out of, out of mm-hmm. pitch. And I thought that that was really, really interesting that it would make such a difference between, oh, I'm just sitting here playing versus I'm up on stage and I'm going ahead and I'm, I'm doing my thing, putting on the show and mm-hmm. how you can't necessarily do all the actions. You'll manhandle it. Yeah, you know, putting that capo on, bending it out of tune, uh, that was something I forgot to mention earlier is just fretting. The amount of tension you're using, you could easily just knock it out of tune if you fret too hard or oh yeah, uh, put your finger just slightly down or up or whatever. Well, you're the one that actually mixed that that live performance. So what did you notice difference about the tone that I usually have versus what I had that day. Okay. So it was, it was definitely a little different. And like we've mentioned earlier, the, the clarity was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like it jumped out too much though, but it okay. was, and I would say it was not as thin as I thought it would sound. Yeah, I would agree. Now I did have to make a couple of changes. Mm-hmm. Did you have to change the EQ curve at all? I did open up the low end a little more mm-hmm. um, just to beef it up just a tiny bit, but I didn't really have to change a whole lot from your yeah. normal setup. I found that I had to increase the bass a little bit, mm-hmm. but when I increased the bass, it didn't really necessarily increase the low end. It seemed to increase the punchiness. Yeah. Like, it just was tighter, a tighter low end. Yes. It, it had a tighter low end. Maybe there was a little bit of lacking, but... It, when I listened back on the mix, I didn't really notice a difference. Okay. When I'm in in this the streaming room. Oh sure. And in a yeah. mix, I mean, yeah, I can definitely. I'm nitpicking, but when I'm just listening back, I really could not hear a whole lot of difference. Yeah. Well, and that that actually is probably because I made a few changes yeah, when I was there because possible. as I was playing, you know, I usually have on the quad cortex they have this this one drive. It's called like the Myth Drive or something like mm-hmm. that. It's basically a clone. And I usually use that with the Les Paul because it does a good job of being relatively clear and articulate with the way the guitar just naturally sounds. Mm -hmm. That said, every time I clicked it on, it didn't sound right. It sounded just too, like, MIDI. Mm -hmm. And, of course, all you have is a treble knob on that Klon type of a clone. And so I'm just adding more treble, and I'm like, nope, treble's not what I need. I need something else, a different frequency. So what I decided to do was I put on a Tube Screamer instead, which I get it. People right now are going, a Tube Screamer? That's nothing like a Klon. Yeah, you're right. And sure enough, I got the tone that I wanted back by using the Tube Screamer. Which probably makes sense to a lot of people because the Tube Screamer is relatively coloring to a sound. Right. So I basically just colored it back <laughs> to what I usually do. I mean, whatever works, man. Yeah. And that, that's the important thing with any of the gear is getting the sound you want, and it doesn't matter what tool you use. Yeah, and you know, and to me, it's actually kind of interesting because there are so many different 
like variables that actually change. And one person's opinion is not necessarily the law mm-hmm. of what's supposed to happen. Because I know that there are certain YouTubers out there that are like, Tube Screamers are the devil. They're the worst thing ever. And they're, they're not any good. And sure enough, a Tube Screamer is exactly what I need in order to sound like me sometimes. That's fair. And sometimes it's a rat. For me, it's the HM2 sometimes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Who who doesn't need a metal zone or a heavy metal zone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really use my metal zone very often. so You should use it more. I should. I actually, this is just a side note, but I, I'll pull out my metal zone when I'm playing slide guitar. That makes sense. Yeah, kick on some reverb. Do you put it on the neck pickup then? Depends on what I'm feeling. Yeah. How mm-hmm. trashy you're feeling? Yeah. 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 Speaking of trashy, let's talk about Billy Gibson's a little more. Because <laughs> seriously, sometimes his tone is super trashy. And I was surprised after playing it live that Billy, who he does have a pretty light touch now, mm-hmm. but if you've seen him play in the 70s, oh, yeah. He was heavy, heavy handed. Mm hmm. And that brings me to, do you know the reason why he switched from using those heavier strings to those lighter strings? Because B.B. King told him, you're working too hard. That's exactly right. (laughs) So that brings us to some artists that actually are known for playing these these lighter strings. And a a number of them, I'll go ahead and just throw a few out. Billy Gibbons, of course. Jeff Beck. Frank Zappa. Jimmy Page. And Jimi Hendrix, all of them evidently at some point used like eights, possibly sevens. And that was pretty well known to be used in the 50s, 60s, 70s mm-hmm. for guitar. Yeah, I, I believe eights were very common in the classic rock era, especially the 70s. Which brings me back to you playing Little Wing mm-hmm. and doing that Jimi Hendrix band and it just breaking. Yeah, I think that could just be something in the Marauder. But it could be, but, but then it, again, you know, Jimmy was rough yeah, with his guitars. Yeah. And I was doing the Jimi Hendrix version, not the Steve Ray Vaughan version, but uh, not that I'm good at either. <laughs> but, You're doing the Chris version. Yes, <laughs> that's right. The Chris version. See, if we can do this, yeah. if they can have versions themselves, yeah. it's either because they couldn't make it like the other person mm-hmm. or it was because they went, you know what, I'm good enough to do that. But, you know. You know, I just I wonder if their guitars were just set up better for the eights versus my just kind of quick throw on. Yeah, it could setup. be. You know, and maybe the quality of the strings were different, but I, I think they were using eights. I I do believe Jimi Hendrix had a more custom set, a balanced set, as they call it. But yeah, that could so be. So I think he had a thicker high E string than the rest of the. You know, to think about it, you know, yeah, he's known for his strats. Mm-hmm. He's known for playing all those, and maybe he was playing eights with those. Mm-hmm. But then he switched over to Gibsons, and we right. saw him playing. Les Pauls, and we saw him playing Flying V's and all of that. And I'm wondering if because, like I had with my guitar, mm-hmm. that the humbucker came a little clearer, more articulate, you know, this might make sense on why Jimmy sounded like Jimmy with a humbucker. Yeah. Because I know that most people who play humbuckers can't sound like Jimi Hendrix. And right. granted, Jimmy is Jimmy. But at the same time, 
I know a lot of people who can sound like Jimmy playing a Strat. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. So he was possibly playing thicker strings on his Strat. And then switching over to the Gibsons, that's probably when he used the smaller set. That really could be. Maybe that's a video that needs to be done by Uh somebody is playing like Jimmy or getting the tone of Jimmy with a humbucker. Yeah. And play the heavier strings, play the lighter strings, and see if all of a sudden Jimmy pops out. That would be interesting. That would be. If only I knew somebody who made videos. Oh, no. That's me, but I don't play like Jimmy. So So let's go ahead and let's talk about one more con that I found. Okay. And that was whenever I went to do double string bends where one string was to stay put Mm -hmm. and the other one was to bend. And only that one was to bend. You see, you hear it a lot in like country music or whatever right where you hold the b down and then you only bend the g mm-hmm. i struggled because the b would move too you know i don't remember having that issue um Are you're saying that i i'm terrible yeah you're, that, you're a horrible no i'm a horrible no. guitar player you no, just said it you know what i well i'm just saying <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think if i remember having that issue now granted i'm used to using a floating bridge yeah where that tends to happen sometimes anyway (laughs) yeah that's true uh so maybe i just didn't notice it maybe it could just be that it i just need to work on that control you know the pinky got a little bit weak but that does go with what i was saying earlier when you hit a chord or hit a string sometimes you could just unintentionally bend it out of tune yeah Uh, so that it it was probably within that uh scope of what was happening so yeah but if i could piggyback that over to a pro that would be that i felt like i played everything faster yeah like I, everything I did too yes and so it could be that because i was able to get to it faster and then be aggressive that muscle memory of moving things you know i ended up bending out of out of tune a little bit mm-hmm. more but seriously everything was faster yeah i was doing a uh jamming along to a deep purple song yeah, trying to do a Richie Blackmore thing. Normally, I I can't play it that fast, but when I was playing those seven gauge, it was like, wow, yeah. Wow, wh- how am I able to do this? It felt like being a grown man playing football against a bunch of seven year olds. Yeah, that's a good you know, analogy. You just you're way taller than all of them. You're way bigger. They come to tackle you, and you just like smack them over. You know, like mm-hmm. you can outrun them all. You know. That's what it felt like. It felt like a grown man playing football against seven-year-olds. <laughs> I just uh, pictured that in my head for a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's... Now I've got it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, with all of that, let's go ahead and let's finish things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that video that Beato put out. Because in that video, they talked about how the strings matter for tone, and they kind of explained how the reason for it was because they were talking about how to tighten up low end and how to get certain tones. And somebody said, well, if you just drop the gauge of strings, then you would get that. And they were like, what? And so they tested it. And I thought it was interesting because the low end did seem to get tighter, and the highs did tend to get a little more articulate as they move through the gauge but they actually had a couple of claims that they put in there that i've heard before but i don't know that everybody's heard it 
because I've heard it before, and then I'll hear somebody talk, and they'll be like, well, Stevie Ray Vaughan played 11s. Sometimes he played 12s. And it's like, yes, we've heard that. And that was actually the claim in the video is they said, well, Stevie Ray Vaughan, yes, he played some 11s, 12s, even 13s at some point, but he started to get tendonitis. Right. And he went down to 10s. And he also, when he played 11s, he was at E flat in his tuning, which is like playing 10s. Yeah, it lowers the tension. Yeah, and so in which case, yes, he might have done that at one point, but that may not have been the heyday or the album in which you're trying to do. If you're trying to do Texas Flood, it might have been done on 10s or 11s tuned down to E-flat. Played on a very loud amplifier. Yes, an extremely loud Dumble steel string singer. (laughs) And another claim that they ended up having with this was during this, they also said Rhett, with his nines and eights, had the best low end and the best mids. And that eights were the best with a humbucker, and it will sit best in a track. And that the low end will drop with the eights. And Rick says that the reason why is because of a lack of control. And I actually agree to some extent that the reason why my low end got tighter might have been because I wasn't able to control the string so well. So I was more articulate with my touch, which changed how I fretted and how strong of a hand I had. Cause I found that as I do play lighter, I tend to have better tone than when I play heavier and I'm talking about my fretted hand. Yeah. Obviously, your picking hand can do all sorts of things and change yeah. how it all goes. Coming from being a Strat guy, I definitely actually had to change my picking hand a bit. Actually, I did not realize how heavy I picked until I played the sevens. Yeah. Um, but that the thought that it's from a lack of control is actually very interesting because when I was playing the seven gauge, I actually found me having to turn down the bass on my amp a bit. Really? Now, granted, that could be because I didn't want to disturb my neighbors, but... Um, yeah. Were you playing the HM, too? Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that, there it is. that was probably it. Yeah. But, the, <laughs> but when I would just plug straight in, the low end was just, like you said, it was tighter. It was nice. It just had this, to me, a really great sound. Because sometimes when I'm playing, I'm like, man, this low end's kind of out of control. Now, that yeah. just could be just from sloppiness. Um, that's an interesting claim. I'd have to really think about why that would be. It's definitely something that I feel like I need to experience. Like whenever I go to do this string change, going from sevens back to tens, because Mm -hmm. I'm not keeping it. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm just not keeping it long term. The main reason why is I know that I like to have some consistency among my guitars Mm -hmm. Not because the guitars themselves are really all that consistent, because I've got all sorts of scale links. I've got humbuckers. I've got P90s. I've got single-coil Strat, single-coil Telecaster. I've got the Filtertrons. I've got big bodies, wide bodies. You know, I've got all sorts of things. So that's not, but the strings always felt right. And it was right. one piece of consistency that I had. And I actually went ahead and played around a little bit because of that video that Beato put out. Mm-hmm. And I decided to try nines on a couple of guitars. Okay. Now, granted, this was 
you know, probably two years ago, whenever mm-hmm. the video came out. Yeah. I put it on my PRS Starla, and I had forgotten that I had put it on, and it was like six months later, and I was playing the Starla going, I think I need to sell it. Like, I just, I don't enjoy playing it. I used to love this guitar. I don't remember what the problem is. And one day, I decided maybe I just need to do a string change and see where it is. And I looked at my records, because I keep records of when string changes happened and all that, and I noticed that I put nines on it, and I forgot and so I changed it to tens, and it was glorious. And it's now still one of my favorite guitars. Again, yeah. it rescued the guitar for me. And I think that for me, I need to continue to play tens on all the guitars because even though it's super fun mm-hmm. playing the sevens, there is no way that at this point of my life, it makes sense. Now, maybe when I got a bunch of arthritis, maybe when I'm just sitting and playing more, I'll change my mind. But right now, I'm going to go back. How about you? I am not keeping them. I'm going to probably put the second set on and let those wear out for a bit. I mm-hmm. don't want to waste money. Oh, sure. Because I bought two sets because I was afraid it was going to break when we were stringing it up. But Yeah. So I'll probably play them for a while. But what I like in playing guitar is a little bit of tension, but not... Not too much. I'm, yeah. I mean, we talked about it last time. I have a custom set of strings, and they don't have as much tension as, like, an 11 set, but they're not as crazy light as those 7s. Like, yeah. I do appreciate almost, like, the lessons I learned from playing the 7s of, okay, i got to discipline myself and think about it more, but mm-hmm. I think I'm going to leave that there. And Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually... Th- thinking about on my marauder going a little thicker than i normally would go and then keeping my strat where it is so they yeah. match a little better uh, probably using a half gauge or something because i find the shorter scale length like sometimes i'll play your prs and mm-hmm. i'm like this is this is excellent like yeah. it's almost like the in-between of those two but of the strat and the Les paul but i'm not keeping them i'm yeah i think that the smarter thing for us to do is instead of going ahead and, like, just put them on another guitar just to do it, Mm -hmm. I think it's almost a good idea to shelve them. Yeah. Wait till you're uninspired with something and then go, you know what? I'm pulling them back out. I'm putting them on a guitar. I'm going to get inspired again. Mm -hmm. And even if they only last a couple of weeks or wait until the break, I'm going to go ahead and and do this. Yeah, I'll I'll probably do that. I I think that's where I'm going to be with it because – as much as I have enjoyed having them, I don't know that that Les Paul will be played out live again until it has a string change. Right. But I will enjoy playing it at home. Exactly. Now, that brings up something interesting because we're going to shelve these these strings for a little bit and just see what ends up happening. But I thought it was interesting that no other like string company made sevens. Or made eight. And I'm wondering if it's due to popularity mm-hmm. or if it's the fact that they can't make them strong enough to be able to hold up, you know? I'm thinking that's probably it. Yeah, it, it might be. I would feel like for people who do have like arthritis or something, they're, they'd be perfect. Yeah. But I think I read Ernie Ball may make sevens. I could be wrong. I didn't really look into it too much, but. And it's possible that, like, Stringjoy does it, because I know they do a lot of custom sets they and things only, like that. They only go down to eight. Oh. Mm-hmm. Stand corrected. Yeah. yeah. I just ordered some 
custom sets from them. I was like, I wonder if they go to sevens. I just want to see. Yeah. Scroll down. At least maybe they do for hex strings, but I use round mm-hmm. round core. So, oh, sure. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it just depends on. I didn't really dig around on their website too much, though. Yeah. So this brings up an interesting point of what strings are actually made out of. So, for example, you know, you've got your nickel wound, you've got your steel, you've got flat wounds, you have all of these things. And it makes me kind of think about it and go, what is the part that truly matters? Is it the core? Is it the outer coating? Like, what is it that truly gives the string its tone? What do you think? I just use cat gut strings. No, I'm kidding. Oh, perfect. Nah. Yeah, uh, nylons. Are, do you play classical? Is that what this is? No. <laughs> it's the 12-string Martin that you have only six strings on, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> no, so that's an interesting thing because I've honestly not experimented too much with different metals. The only thing I've really switched between and found that I liked was the hex core versus round core. I prefer round core. And I think it's because they're a lot easier to bend. And me oh. playing a lot of, like, David Gilmore style, I like bending. So, yeah. Uh, but they're a little, I think they're punchier. Of course, I'd love to actually compare them, like do an actual comparison back-to-back. But hex core is better for a little brighter sound and stuff. Okay. I'm not sure if the seven gauge. I'm not sure if they're hex core or round core. I never really looked into that. But well, if it, the worry uh, is bending, I think we're okay. Yeah, I don't think it matters too much. <laughs> um, but as far as like different metals, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know a ton about it, and you know that doesn't necessarily mean that people should just shut off because we have no clue what we're talking about with this. <laughs> but we know it what is, we're talking about. What you have to know what you're talking about yeah. in order to do a podcast? No, that's obviously not true. But you know, I think about what I use, and I prefer for electric guitars, I prefer a good like nickel wound. But the only reason why is because that's what I've always really used. Right. But with acoustic, I found myself at first with like phosphorus bronze. It's got to be phosphorus bronze, but they died quickly, mm-hmm. and I didn't like the tone of it. And so I would switch it out, and I went to Elixirs, and I felt like Elixirs lasted just forever. And I absolutely loved that they lasted forever. But, oh, the look on your face is you've had an opinion. Go ahead. Give me your opinion first. Elixirs are too bright for me. Really? Yeah. It's just way too bright for me, my personal taste. Is this on your Martin? Yeah. I usually just use whatever they have at the guitar store. Um, okay. Because <laughs> 12 strings are hard to find yeah. generally. So, unless I'm ordering online, I just, if I run into a guitar center, I'm like, oh, it looks like they have that and I'll just throw it on. Yeah. But yeah. I just never really cared for elixirs personally. You know, the thing that I found was this, and this is kind of an interesting statement. And I, I challenge people to go and check it. If they have a guitar that is acoustic mm-hmm. and it is able to be plugged in using like a piezo that's inside it like a pickup maybe you've got a highlander maybe you've got an i-beam maybe you have the es that taylor uses the aura that martin has whatever i'm not talking about a mic system i'm talking about some sort of a piezo type thing have your guitar with its dead strings on it plug it in record change the strings 
plug it in, record, and you will find less of a difference than you would expect. That's fair. Now, I get it. The brighter strings, maybe there will be more resonance of the top. Mm -hmm. Maybe Yes, I'm not saying that there would be no difference, but I was really surprised because I decided to throw down a track once when I was in the studio before we changed strings. I was like, I'm going to do the scratch track with the crappy strings, and then I'm going to do the real deal with the actual brand new bright strings. And the pickup that was in my ES system for my my Taylor, Mm -hmm. the scratch track sounded really good. The mic track sounded dull. Then I put on the elixirs, brand new strings, everything good to go, and I played, and the scratch track was about the same, and the mic sound was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense because... Piezo, the way piezo works and everything, but uh, yeah. I actually probably need to look more into the different metals and materials that strings are made of, but I don't know if it matters a whole lot to yeah. me. If it sounds good, it sounds good. If it but. sounds good, it sounds good. I, I'm with you on that. Now, as far as flat wounds versus uh, round wounds, I've never done that on an electric. No. But I use flat wound strings on my bass usually. Um, yes, I actually recently changed to that too. Mm-hmm. I used to use the nickel wound or nickel yeah. steel or whatever on a bass, and I don't play bass that much. So whenever I did, it would just tear up my fingers. Mm-hmm. So one day I decided to go ahead and put on some flat wounds, and now I will never go back. Yeah, there's certain sounds you definitely cannot get on bass with flat wounds. Yeah. But for just. I'm not much of a bass player, so when I play, I just stick pretty basic stuff. Yeah. I'm a P-bass guy, so just the flat ones work perfectly for it. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. Well, and actually, I did a video on the Gibson EB-1 bass, which was my dad's. Mm-hmm. It's a 1953, and he had steel strings on it. And wanted to go ahead and have flat wounds put on it because it was tearing up his fingers, and he didn't want to play it. Right. I was like, well, shoot. Let's get this fixed up. Let's have you play it. And some of those tracks, some of those recordings have the nickel on it, and some of it has the flat wound. And when you listen to it, it really does not sound that much different at all. I could imagine that some engineer EQing in the room, or because I was going direct, right? Yeah. you know, you actually do some EQing or put it into a bass amp, and you're not really going to notice any difference. I think a lot of it is feel. Yeah. When you're actually playing, I think that, and that's where a lot of the string stuff comes in is like the feel difference. And I think that's where it comes into what do you prefer, the thinner or thicker strings? Is it's mm-hmm. about the feel of it. And I think that really translates to your playings. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree with that completely. All right. Well, I think that that brings us to final thoughts. And in final thoughts, I know we kind of just pretty much did it but i think in final thoughts i'm not going to keep the strings forever i'm not changing over to sevens there's part of me that wonders but what about eights but no i'm not going to do that either because it's it's just one better right no no stop that i'm not i'm not going to nines i do have some nines and you know what maybe i need to do a video where i go from the sevens to the nines and then i do have some elevens too sitting at home and do that but you know, for the most part, I think I'm happy where I am now. And when I'm unable to do what I do now, that's when I need to start rethinking my string gauges. Yeah. And I can take something from Reverend Willie 
BB King. Okay, so we have a preacher and a royalty that have told us to do something a little bit different. And I think we can take that under advisement. But at the same time, I think that strings are a personal thing. Mm -hmm. And for what works for one person does not necessarily work for other people. And at the end of the day, it is an excellent, cheap experiment. And for anybody who is looking to do something to kind of just liven up their creativity, this is a cheap way to liven up. It's the cheapest and safest way to liven up your creativity. Yeah. Cheapest, Just like safest. the Loteria de Mexicano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you? I mean, you pretty much nail it. I'd say I'd encourage people if they've been stuck in a rut or they've just been playing for years and years and years with the same strings, try something else out. I mean, you don't have to keep it. Just find a different set of strings. Maybe go thicker. Maybe go thinner. Uh, just you might be surprised with what you'll find. And uh, I would say it may make you a slightly better player just because you're trying something a little different and rethinking it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I'm not, I'm not keeping them on my guitar long term, but uh, it was a fun, fun little experiment. Which I'm I'm glad I did. So yeah, well I'm glad you took me along for the journey. Yeah, because that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And you know you had gotten the strings, and so when you said, "Oh, there's a problem with my Marauder," I went, "Let me fix your guitar for you." Mm -hmm. That's an even trade, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I'm glad that we were able to help each other out. Yeah. And do fun. some therapy together. This was good therapy. Yes, it was good therapy. All right. Well, Chris, thank you again for getting the strings. And until next time, man. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Tweet Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.